Hey everyone, just as a heads up, in this episode I talk pretty extensively about my recent experience with my father's passing. We're going to be talking about the loss of a family member and cancer. If that's a difficult topic for you, then you may wish to skip this episode. If not, however, then please do enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to. We've done this the wrong way around. Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. Just realised. Just realised. Should we? Should we? Should we go again? Let's do that again. Over to you. Hello, I'm Dan. I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article, and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Dan, we're talking about Into the West (parentheses song). Into the West parentheses song. So this is to peek behind the curtain immediately. Literally, the sh- the curtain has gone up mm-hmm. at the playhouse for the, for the Wikicast tonight. It has immediately fallen, and then you're peeking through it. This is going to be something of a special episode, similar to, I suppose, what we d- we definitely did before for Christmas. We've done a couple of these where we've deliberately picked an article, and I've chosen Into the West as something that is thematically and specifically appropriate for what's been happening recently. So as people may be aware, we've not released an episode for quite a while. Well, that's not necessarily unusual for this show, but there has been a very specific reason for that, which is that I've been spending a lot of time with my family over the past really couple of months. And the reason I've been doing that is because my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer at the start of the year. And at the start of April, he passed away. And the reason that I wanted to talk about Into the West, if only briefly, because we'll, we'll talk about lots of other stuff today, <laughs> is that this was the song, as I, I don't know if you remember where this song was from, Dan. Uh, it's Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yes, it's the song at the, at the end of The Return of the King, sung by Annie Lennox, mm-hmm. and won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, I believe. One of the 11 Oscars that the film deservedly won. Mm. And the reason that I picked this is, firstly, it was written, as some people may know, it's quite well known, for a young filmmaker well, Cameron Duncan, who is from New Zealand and uh, befriended Peter Jackson during the filming of The Lord of the Rings. And um, he passed away from cancer at the age of 16. And the, the, sort of knowing this person and knowing his story was what inspired Fran Walsh, who was one of the writers of the film, um, to to write the song. And it's used as the theme from the, the Grey Havens in the film. You hear it when Gandalf and Pippin are talking about the undying lands in mm. the siege of Minas Tirith. And you also hear it when Sam picks up Frodo as they go up Mount Doom. So it's sort of this death motif over the course of the film. And it's also something that I think is very appropriate to my dad specifically because he was a colossal Lord of the Rings nerd. Yeah, He was someone who, when he was a teenager, read the books every year like he would reread them every year and the films were very special to him and uh, very special to me and so I thought this was a, a nice way of sort of tying together a lot of different threads really absolutely it's something that we're not having at the funeral we, we did discuss actually whether we wanted to have this and, and a variety of other pieces of music at the, at the funeral which is later this week mm. but it's something that in my head is I, I don't know the anthem for the these past couple of weeks I suppose yeah no absolutely I don't know whether there's a more sort of fitting way to have something like this song that is obviously, it's an emotional song in and of itself, but I suppose the emotional connection that you have to the song, not only is it powerful, but also your father's love 
of the trilogy mm. and I'm sure a whole multitude of really, really happy memories with that going too. It's certainly a time, isn't it? You know, and again, I think I said something like this last episode, but yeah, I, you know, words words can't describe how sorry I am for your loss and your your family and anyone who knew Bob. And I, as I say, I was very fortunate to have met him and known him reasonably well. Yeah, what a beautiful soul and he'll be really dearly missed. Yeah, and and it's been I've been tasked with giving a, a, a I think he said giving a talk. I'm so used to saying that, mm. giving um, a speech at the, at the uh, the funeral, and I've made a very deliberate choice, which is I, in a move that will come as no surprise to most people who know me from my online work, I decided to look up some etymologies mm-hmm. to help me along, and um, I don't know if you know the difference between a eulogy and an elegy. Oh gosh, now I now I did at one point because it absolutely came up in a first year poetry module I think but I've all of that sort of knowledge has absolutely been shoved out of my brain to make way for other things but bigger better things enlighten me so so eulogy comes from two words in ancient Greek it means um, oi eu which I think is pronounced oi Mm. and logia so it's good words is literally what it means whereas elegy always refers to a, a, a song and it was always a mournful song. Mm-hmm. It was something that was regretting the fact that the person's not here. And I've very deliberately chosen to give a eulogy yes. and not focus on the fact that he's not here anymore or all the sad, you know, the, the, the sad nature of his passing and all that kind of thing. Because, you know, everybody who is at the funeral has already done that. Everybody is very sorry that he's not here. Mm. But I think it's A, what he would want, and B, it's much more productive, much healthier to focus on how knowing this person, whoever it is, when you're when you're giving a speech at a funeral, know how knowing that person made you and made people in general better. Yes. You know, how 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 it improved your life. And there's so much to talk about. There's so, so much to talk about with with my dad. I mean, I feel very lucky. I know not everybody has a father figure that they can say it was a positive influence on their life mm. not everybody has a, a strong kind of male role model i suppose but uh i i certainly did and it's in writing it it has actually been quite difficult to disentangle my specific experience i suppose mm. from the experience of people who knew him generally but what has been useful and i sort of mentioned this in the funeral is mum and i have been going through his things and neither of us knew that he actually kept his journal from when he was a junior officer in the navy oh wow so it's dated from the start of 1976 to the start of 1978 so Mm. he would have been uh mental maths he would have been 22 right when he was writing this yeah and you know it's it's been amazing to be able to read this god obviously not read this before and get this insight into him when he was well younger than me now when he was university age really and sort of see how he described himself and what he thought was important and in some cases what he thought was funny. And yeah, it, I think these are the best words to, to sort of describe him really because I think that he, he actually stayed true to this young person of himself right up until he was, well, he was 68 when he, when he passed away. Mm. And he was, you know, he, he, um, he, he was very much the same person right up until the very end. Cancer is an absolutely horrible thing, and, it, and, it, and each case is different. But it's certainly in his case, it didn't change his sense of humour. It didn't change how he viewed the world or anything like that. And I do feel very lucky that, you know, I can recognise in his 22-year-old 
writing the same person that I knew a couple of weeks ago. Mm. As you say, it has been a time. Yeah. It's not been easy. I've been taking this time off of work completely. I've not been making videos. I've not been doing live streaming. I've not been giving talks. I've, well, I, did, I appeared on a panel in Oxford because I was asked to do that quite a while ago. And I thought it was a nice way quite very recently to sort of get back into the saddle a little bit. Yeah. But it has been, it's not been a time where I felt like I can be creative you know, no. I don't feel quite up to being on camera and doing that kind of because it's it's not a persona that I do for you know it's not an act that I, I have on on camera, but it does require you to be yourself and yeah. vulnerable in a way. Anything that you're sort of anything that you're putting out into the public domain that you've spent a degree of time producing or curating, designing, I think the creativity aspect is probably the most important thing. Then it requires you to bring a certain energy. That doesn't mean a sort of falseness of character or a sort of another personality that you put on for certain things. But I think that the energy that is required to bring, whether you feel that you can or not, I think almost more importantly is sort of like whether actually you have a desire to. And and if the desire is not there, then Mm. I think it's really important that you take the time to, you know, just to really focus on yourself and your family and, you know, and your loved ones as opposed to trying to conjure up some, you know, some other energy to put into a project when I'm sure there's an enormous amount of energy being expelled in processing, you know, everything. Yeah. And it's not something that comes naturally. It's it's something that I find it very difficult to not work on something. Mm. I, I, I don't really take time off. Yeah. And it's been... As we were, we were talking before, we rolled cameras for this podcast. We rolled the cameras on the podcast. Yeah. That actually might be where we're going wrong. So I wonder, <laughs> wonder whether it's that. We were talking about how, you know, it's been a, several weeks and months now of um, sort of being quite reflective. I've been asking myself a lot, what the f*** am I doing? Mm. Like that, that, that's honestly been the vibe yeah. for quite a while. And it's something that I can't help but also do. And I'm sure, you know, maybe this is something that everybody does, actually, when they lose a parent. And especially if it's a parent of your gender, like, you know, me losing my dad, you can't help but compare yourself to them. Mm. And I can't help but look at my dad and, you know, just feel, I don't think inadequate's quite the word, but feel like they've set such a high precedent, such a high mark. Yes. Because one of the other things that I didn't know of, really, was that he had a, a kind of development folder from all his time in the Navy. So, pe- Sorry, for people that don't know, my dad joined the Navy at 18 and he stayed in the service for... Actually, I think he was 17, sorry. And, and he stayed in the service till he was 50. So he had a big folder of his professional development stuff as, a, as an officer. And you get basically school reports if you're an officer, at least in the Navy, I assume, I'm sure it's the same in the other services, the detail what what you've been up to and what and how you're performing and they actually have these little categories on the side mm. where you get marks for things like and I'm not joking you get marks for zeal tact common sense intelligence it's almost like a character sheet oh wow and and you know you read these and you think god I don't think I would get one like this yeah I, I don't think I would I would do quite so well I mean I had a there was a quote here that was in the eulogy it described him as uh, he had a, has a ready sense of fun and a positive outlook and remains resilient and even tempered under pressure, mm. which I think is a very concise description mm. of dad. Yeah, absolutely. Although I must say, <laughs> some of them are very funny. In, in 1980, he was described as a slightly built, fit and well turned out bachelor. 
quite why he needed that description, I don't know. Yeah. But then in 1988, there's a little quote that says, uh, he was recently married to a ebullient, charming girl. <laughs> How times have changed. Yes. Well, I was gonna, it's probably good to have those little snippets of that, because certainly an, an endearing memory that I'll always have of your dad, aside from being an incredibly warm-hearted, kind man, was a truly wicked sense of humour. Mm. I mean, really, really funny. And, you know, the times when we go out walking with um, you and your mum and then, and then you know, stop for a pub lunch or something, you know, and then just mm. the general, the general round table discussion and your dad's almost sort of not necessarily, I don't think it was ne- necessarily a sort of default preference, but being so willing, if there's an opportunity to just sort of take the piss... <laughs> He absolutely yeah. would. <laughs> absolutely. And it was so fu- uh, just brilliant, you know. It was, it, yeah. Well, I, I said this in the in the eulogy. There's a, there's a quote that I really like about Richard Feynman. So, so Richard Feynman was one of these great physicists of the 20th century and very interesting character. And there was another physicist called Freeman Dyson who met him for the first time when he was quite young. Mm. And he he met him and wrote in a letter home that he found that this, this famous physicist, because he was always famous, already famous even when he was young, mm. that he was half genius, half buffoon. Right. And then a few years later of them kind of getting to know each other and being friends, Dyson wrote another letter home and he said, actually, I was wrong. He's full genius and full buffoon. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of the same vibe that my dad had. He never took himself seriously. And yet he was so meticulous at his job. You know, Mm. you don't get to be a lieutenant commander and he was recommended for promotion over and over again to commander like you don't get to that without being extremely serious and good at your job yes but yet he was also this joker like he was he was just a, he was a complete buffoon sometimes yeah in a way that i definitely have taken to heart and i hope i hope people in some of the descriptions that i've given there of my dad i truly hope that people can say this is a similar thing of me because he's definitely been this person i've been trying to emulate all my life yes well, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a big day and, and um, I'm glad that's sort of where, you know, being in the position I'm in now, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly I'm certainly going to be there and I can't think of a better person to impress upon and uh, everybody what kind of a mm. what kind of a man he was. And, and you know, all, all sides that, you know, the, the serious and the, the intelligent and the kind and the hilarious, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There was one anecdote. I, I didn't know about this until recently. Mum asked me to put this in the eulogy that I will share with, with the readership because mm-hmm. I do think it's funny. So so basically, you know, he in the Navy, he would travel a lot and he would try to write home as much as possible. I think he got one phone call a week yeah. back home on ship. So if he was on land when when the, when they were on deployment somewhere he would you know try to phone home from other places one time he was in barbados and was in a phone box like a classic british red phone box and got caught in a in a rainstorm was on the phone to my mum and he said wow you you're never going to believe this listen to this rain mm. and then pulled the phone out of the phone box <laughs> like Apparently, there was like, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> the other end. Amazing. And I could just so see him, this quite slightly built British guy, probably in military uniform, in a phone booth in the pouring rain, going, Yeah. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Well, see, the, <laughs> Hang the, that back up. The image that jumped to my mind wasn't so much your dad's reaction, but your mum on the other end, just listening to the sudden, like, that you're sort of that, that single held dial tone and just being like, oh, for God's sake. God's sake, he's done it again. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. A, a friend of ours, Imogen, said something very wise, which was that I'm very lucky in that his memory is a blessing. He may not be here, but I have a wonderful set of memories like that and anecdotes, but also just a sense of who he was as a person to look back on. And that's something that obviously I'll, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. And, um, Certainly. you know, it's something that I can never hope to convey to, to the readers at home. It's something that I will be making a video to fundraise for Dorothy House, which was the cancer hospice that cared for him at home and also where he, we, we had end of life care. And we will definitely, I'll talk about him and our family kind of story, I guess, more in that video. But I know that I can never convey truly who he was. But I hope that people who've listened to this and people who have watched some of my videos that have featured him, and I have had some wonderful messages, by the way, from people saying how they'd actually taken something from stuff that my dad had said in videos, particularly his idea of proactive serendipity, and had really, mm -hmm. you know, had a connection to this man that they'd never they'd never met. And I was so touched to get some of those comments. It's something that I hope that you have yeah. at least had a taste of who this man was and that he was able to have a positive impact on other people. Because that's really all he did. He Seemingly everybody he met had this, this impression, as you described, this, this kind of gentle, funny, warm man mm. who I think made people's lives that little bit better. And... If people have been able to enjoy that over the internet, then that's that's a wonderful thing, and I know he would have been very touched by that as well. Absolutely, and I, yeah, I don't think there's any. There's certainly no doubt in my mind that that's what people will be feeling. And I suppose I, yeah, it was something that I've been thinking about sort of recently for for sort of unconnected reasons that I, I won't go into at the moment. But there's been stuff happening uh, in my family, and it's made me sort of reflect a lot on relationships and and that you know we're you know we've we've got a finite time haven't we you know and yeah for no matter the sort of strength or sort of closeness of a of a connection you may have to someone be them a family member or a you know a family friend or you know anything like that whenever anything sad happens or whenever anything you know, be it a passing or illness or anything, really. I think that there was a quote that I think of all people, of all people, it was the actor Andrew Garfield. Um, <laughs> and he had, this springs to mind because I rewatched Tick, Tick, Boom not long ago, the, the, um, ah. the musical that he was in, which is fantastic, really brilliant. And it was only after the fact that I realised that he was actually, he had been filming that musical and, and film in the immediate aftermath of the passing of his mother which I mean mm. how he was able to do that I have no idea but he went into a, to sort of detail about that process and how it was for him and he spoke about that experience and how he's still working on himself and, and with processing his loss he, he went into quite a lot of detail about it in an interview and one thing he said really really stuck with me and he said I hope this grief stays with me because it's all the unexpressed love that I didn't get to express. Mm. And it's something that really, and I was just thought, what a, what a powerful and sort of beautiful way of understanding what, you know, holding on to those memories, the good and the bad and 
and the feelings of sort of grief that obviously anyone is going to experience. And, and, and again, it doesn't matter the closeness of the person, you know, part of the sharing in the in the sort of joyous side of reflecting on life is that you've also got to feel the sort of pain and grief on the other side. But understanding what that grief is as sort of unexpressed love, I thought was a really, really incredible way of looking at it, you know, and that that's something that as soon as I, I've heard it once, and it's been something that has just been in my mind an awful lot. Yeah, and I, th- I think, yeah, just a, a really, yeah, a, a powerful way of thinking about it. I'd never considered it in those terms before. And I think if I hadn't, if, if I wasn't able to talk to him and, and say a lot of things in sort of the last couple of weeks mm. of life, you know, I think I would be feeling more grief, actually. You know, the, the fact that when he was in hospital for, it was 45 days that he was in hospital for, mm. you know, there was quite a long stretch where I would say, I would say goodbye in such a way that if it was the last thing I said to him, I would be okay with it. Yeah. And I feel like had I not done that, it would have been, yeah... I think I would have, I'd be feeling significantly worse now. Mm. And this, and he would take exception to sometimes me doing this. He was saying, "I'm not dying yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I'm still going to be here, old chap. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, I don't know. I'm just, just being sure, you know. Yeah. He actually one of the last one of the last things um, he said it was about two days before he died because the last two days he was he was very heavily sedated because he was getting very anxious uh very upset so so he was mostly sleeping the last two days but about two days before he died there was some misunderstanding and he wanted to make sure that i hadn't got the wrong end of the stick Mm. and he said i'd be mortified if well actually i'm going to be that soon anyway but i'd be mortified (laughs) (laughs) there was another there was another time where he had about 13 pills that he was taking by the end in the mornings and there was a little blue one he was like oh that's a hard swallow (laughs) Uh, Bloody hell! Like that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Gosh. But anyway, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to to dwell on it for the for the entire episode. We'll we'll try to bookend this here because there is lots more to talk about. But I'm. I just wanted to sort of mark mark the occasion, I suppose, and I, I suppose in another sense explain what I've been doing and and what I've been processing for the past couple of well months really mm. and I don't know when things are going to be back to normal we are going to try to make the wiki cast much more of a regular thing from now and sort of put more effort into a regular schedule because there are now we don't have this and going on in the background I'm not sure when the first videos I'll be making will be coming out it'll probably be next month I've very graciously got Thomas and Kat from my community who are providing some guest videos uh, mm-hmm. to go out on my channel to keep things ticking over but yeah, well, well this will probably be the last that I'll talk about it in the Wikicast, I, I imagine. We, and as I say, there'll be a video at some point in the future. For now, just to draw a, a veil over it, I guess. As Dan says, hug your loved ones. You don't have forever with them here. Mm. And when they're gone, they are they are gone. It's, it's not something that you can undo. No. So Into the West, I thought, was the best possible choice for, for Dad specifically. And also this feeling that I have is best encapsulated in that song. So if you want to sort of get some level of, em- not, not empathy, I suppose it's, you know, feel- feeling what I'm feeling, maybe go and listen to that after this episode's finished. Mm. But that's it for this section. I would, however, like to talk about some more music, Dan, and I'd like to hear about your choral piece of the week. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please.
My choral piece of the week. Gosh, well, it's been an odd sort of time for me recently. I've moved away from Exeter. It's not the sort of final move, though it, it I mean, sort of to all intents and purposes, it's, it sort of is, really. I've moved back home to my family in Oxfordshire, so I can be a little bit closer to London for various things, mostly also sort of job stuff, really, but also some work. I've been I've been working my local village pub, Simon, which... Ah, it's, re- it's just a, it's so lovely. I really like it. It's just, it's a really it's it's called the Fox, um, the Fox Inn, and it's really charming and it's sort of classic English country pub, and I've been really yeah really really enjoying it. But the reason it's been a lot of time for me is that my normal sort of regular singing routine has been quite heavily disrupted by virtue of the move. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, I've got some singing things that I can be doing as deputy work in Oxford and and London, but having been so busy with work things, I haven't really been doing a great deal of that. So my exposure to choral music has sort of dropped off a bit, aside from what Mm. I sort of tend to listen to anyway, which is still quite a lot. But my choral piece of the week, I'm going to pick something from the, the recent... May morning service at Magdalen College, Oxford. Ah, uh, yes, yep. Delivered from the top of the tower, is it not? Indeed, yes. There was a really marvellous album put out last year called The Sweet and Merry Month, Music for May Morning. And for those who don't know, the sort of May morning singing from the tower at Magdalen, Oxford is a sort of, as I understand, a sort of centuries-old tradition, mm. but it's wonderful. And there's a particular there's a particular piece on that album, and it's a traditional Irish melody that's been arranged by Whitbourne called The Lark mm. in the Clear Air. It's an, it's, as I say, it's an Irish melody, and it's just completely stunning. And I found myself listening to it on repeat sort of over and over again, and then it's a melody that really, really gets in your head and under your skin, and you can't shift it, and you're just um, singing it all the time. And there's a gorgeous tenor solo that's sung um, throughout and done brilliantly on, on this on this album. And yeah, I, I just, I completely love it. And I think it's quite a sort of, it's a fitting song for the point of the year that we're in, I think. Hmm. The Lark in the Clear Air, brilliant. I shall have to check this out. I've never not heard of it. It's really stunning. I think it's it's just, it's it's harmless and sweet and yeah, it, and, and the arrangement, I think, is, is beautiful. It's um, it's an a cappella arrangement with some really quite nice sort of almost sort of close harmony happening underneath the, the, the tenor um, soloist. And it's, yeah, it's very, very nice. So have a listen to that if you can. It's available on Spotify and Apple Music. The Sweet and Merry Month, music for May morning. And it is track number 16, The Lark in the Clear Air, Whitbourne. Okay. Tell you what, I had something in my head the other day that I cannot really explain mm-hmm. i was in the natural history museum in london because yes. we popped over to london uh, briefly and i got the theme music from a bug's life like Ooh. it was like the ocean of my mind just spat out a piece of flotsam how, now hang on how does that that's um oh yes yeah i remember it's a really sweet melody, but I've not thought about it. It's also a really sweet film. I think it's a shame that it came out when it did, when animation was at the point that it was, because I think you could do, you could make it a real visual spectacle. You know, not not that the animation was mm. poor, but simply the richness and detail of environment and the, what they can do with just the number of objects in the frame. Well, I think it was record-breaking at the time, because it was the first 3D animation feature that had a uh, a crowd 
sim, you know, yeah. because I think they're over a thousand ants, you know, which is like, oh, wow, a thousand. Yeah. And the fact that they managed to, you know, they managed to find all those ants and train them for film, I thought was extraordinary. Truly impressive. They did a bit of, I mean, the CG, yeah, fine. But I think the, the, the unsung heroes are, are those bloody ants, I think. <laughs> I was about... <laughs> No, there's a joke I could make here and I'm not going to do it. Okay, okay we're going to keep this podcast family friendly. All right. But yeah, yeah, really, just really lovely music. Mm. I, I, I have no explanation for why it suddenly popped into my head. I haven't seen it in a long time. But there we go. And the other thing, if I may add another brief recommendation, another thing that's been rattling around my head today and yesterday is a piece by Christopher Tin from the, is it the drop that contained the sea? Um, it's the last movement. It's Waloyo Yamoni. And there's a video from George Collier with a transcription on YouTube, and it's um it's delightful. I'll include a link to that in the description as well. It's not that's that's the that's me riding on Dan's coattails into this section. Right away. <laughs> Actually, Dan, speaking of coattails, mm. I have something I would like to talk about. Oh yes. In the we have found ourselves in critics' corner. Yes. Now I'm worried about what this is going to be, but go on. A big old party happened this past weekend. Oh, are we talking about the uh, the, the uh, curry bobs? The curry bobs, the chazakos. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was extraordinary. Um, I was in the lead up to the day, getting sort of more and more excited, simply from a point of sort of witnessing history and being super fascinated about what this what the coronation was going to look like from a point of ceremony and and liturgy actually that's something that mm. was really interesting to me i was up at the crack of dawn in full morning dress because i'm silly like that yeah, i saw i saw the picture you were in a three piece suit it looked like we'll have to put this i we actually talked about this as well. Uh, I'll, I, we were going to create a Instagram for the Wikicast. Yes. I feel like the first picture I want on it is you in this three-piece suit in what appears to be a doll's house. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. How do you... Now, I'm fascinated by this because you said this and I thought you were, again, and I know you don't tend to do this very often, he says, lying through mm. his teeth, making a, making a subtle remark about my general stature, height, scale, mm. something, something, hummingbird boy, the readership knows the drill <laughs> by now. But I mean, yeah. I don't know what about the front room of my parents' house looks like a doll's house. I, I don't know. I think it might just be the fact that you look like you were dressed up like a doll. Oh, I see. And it was, it was a very right. fancy environment. I don't know. I don't think there was something specifically about your scale. Yes that said to me, this man is four inches tall. Yes. But we'll put this on the Instagram. People can judge for themselves. Because, yeah, as you know, I am, I'm closer to sort of eight inches tall. So yeah. <laughs> clear that up straight away. I don't know what it is. I just, I can't help but see this picture. I'm looking at it now and I, I still think it looks like a doll's house. There is something to be said about, because a sort of morning suit... And, you know, so this is a grey pinstripe trousers, a waistcoat and a morning jacket with tails. Mm. It's very, very sort of dressy and showy, isn't it? Yes. And it's not something that you wear very often unless you're, you sort of regularly, I don't know, go to the races or things or go to lots of weddings because it's quite traditional to wear a morning suit at a wedding. Yes. But 
I don't, yeah, I, I sort of felt, it, it, they came with me up from Exeter because I was sort of bringing some stuff home anyway and I thought, well, with with bigger sort of more sort of cumbersome items of clothing, I might as well just ch- shove everything I can in the car. Mm. And I thought, you know what, if it's the day, you know, it's the coronation for heaven's sake, I, I can, if I've got it, I'll bloody wear it. Even if it's just me wearing that sitting in front of the television, which is what I did. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was an extraordinary day. I really did. It didn't help that in the morning when I was watching up until about half past 11, I was battling with one of the worst hangovers I've ever had in my life, which which took a slight sheen off the pageantry of the morning because I would every now and then have to sort of nip out of the room to be violently sick and then come back. Come back. <laughs> oh my god. Delightful. Yeah, but but I yeah, I thought it was I thought it was fascinating. There's something that, you know, I think we British do very well, the, the, the sort of pomp and ceremony and silliness Mm. and and let's be under no sort of illusions here it was very silly oh it was silly very silly deeply silly silly putty what did what did you think i'm I'm going to preface this by saying the that went down with the protesters being i think way over policed in london yes is really i'm glad that the the mayor have apologized for it but that there needs to be something that happens there more than that Mm -hmm. And aside from everything that comes along with talking about the monarchy and it being, you know, undemocratic and, you know, Nepo babies, all all this kind of nonsense, I'm just going to put that to one side. As a spectacle, as you say, I think that is the key word. um, It was it was really something. I liked some of the new music. I thought the Punifnik was very Punifnicky. Very Punifnicky. Similarly with the Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, it was very Lloyd Webber. I will say. We talked about this in our group chat as it was happening. I didn't know that Camilla was going to get her own Vivats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rivat Vagina. Big time. Camilla. Big time. Because for people that don't know, I Was Glad is by... It is by Parry. I'm not making that up. It is by Parry, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. And it was written, I believe, for the 1911 coronation. Uh, yes. And there's a section in it where you have the choir acclaiming in Latin the new monarch. So it would be Vivat... So Vivat Rex, like long live the king. And it'd be Vivat Rex Georgius, long live King George. Mm. And then it was Vivat Regina uh, Elizabethians. How, what's Elizabeth in Latin? Uh, it was Elizabetha, because it's like Queen's Latin, so it's slightly different. Right. So Vivat Reg- Regina Elizabetha. And this time it was Vivat Rex Carolus. But what I wasn't expecting was that little bit beforehand where they were like, oh, his side chick is here. Mm. And... It sounded shit. I thought it sounded awful. Not because of the text, but the, the delivery. I'm not sure who that, that there was a separate choir of choristers. So that's tradition. For the Queen. So they, so it's always, so the Vivats, if I can get my facts right, the Vivats, I believe, are always sung by scholars of Westminster School. Mm. Which is, so which is why, and it also, it, I, I'm, I'm fairly sure that when I say sung by choristers, there, there is a, um, there's a vocal quality to the Vivat that needs to be more of an acclamation than, it, than they are actually sung notes. So it's meant to sound a bit shouty. It certainly did. The, pr- the pronunciation was bad. Yeah, and then you'll notice on the final Vivat... Or, or rather, the, the the sort of when we reach the sort of crescendo of that of that sort of vivat fanfare moment, the coronation choir, so the the combined forces of girl choristers from Truro Cathedral, Westminster Abbey Choir, mm. Hampton Court, was it? And a, and another one that I'm probably forgetting. I, um, I can't help you there. Another Royal Peculiar, I think. Anyway, there was a, there were lots of singers singing. It then becomes more becomes more sung, mm. but the vivats themselves are traditionally sung by scholars of Westminster School. 
Now, whether that's Westminster Abbey Choir School or something, see, I know this is really scary because there is a, we have, I know that, I know that um, this person will be listening. There is a person in the readership who is all over this kind of stuff. You probably know who I'm talking about, Simon. Mm. Uh, Here we go. The vivats and the Latin acclamations with which the King's Scholars of Westminster School have traditionally greeted kings and queens on their arrival at Westminster Abbey for their coronation. So it's Westminster School, King's Scholars. Right. That's sort of their job. We breezed over music. As far as a new composition that's going to be put out into the musical landscape, which piece of music, which new commissioned piece did you enjoy the most? Ooh. um... So we had Paul Miller's Kyrie, Coronation Kyrie, which was sung by Bryn Terfel, which I thought was extraordinary. I, re- I thoroughly enjoyed that. I wasn't so keen on it. I, and I don't know if that was just because Bryn Terfel was doing it in quite a dramatic style. Mm-hmm. I thought that he was doing it in a very uh, performative way, if that makes sense. Yes, sure. There was a lot of acting going on, wasn't there? What did Roddy Williams do? He did the John Rutter piece, arranged by John Rutter, but it was it's based on a Welford Davies confortare, I think. Right. Then there was the Panufnik Sanctus, which was unmistakably Panufnik, but I thought very nice. Yeah. The Lloyd Webber didn't do a great deal for me. That make a joyful noise, I didn't get my... I, I think... The best, aside from the Veni Creato Spiritus plain song mm. with some very, very delicious, beautiful accompaniment underneath, the two pieces of music that really rocked me to the core, there was the Greek sort of orthodox chanting. I was just um, about beat, to say that. Yeah, that really got me. Which was unbelievable. I mean, so powerful. And I, and you feel it in your bones. That was really amazing. But I think the, the, the best mm. composition was... Tarek O'Regan's On Your Stay, that I think was completely stunning. I think of all of them, the one that stood out to me at the time was the Panifnik, I have to admit. Um, I yeah. think I like that of the new ones the best. I did also, uh, because the Gloria, and also it annoyed me how the BBC had done the titles for it. They were like, Gloria in Excelsis yes. by William Byrd. And I was like, yes, it's like, well, Bird 4. Like, just, <laughs> yes. Um, but also, I was looking at the, and it was especially the choristers in the front two rows. I was, sh- I shouted at the TV. I was like, "It's Bird Four! Get your heads out of your copies! Look! <laughs> you two, how many times have you done this?" It's probably worth mentioning, actually. I can't believe I haven't said it yet. Rather than just launching into the to specifics, we have we have an entire segment of this podcast where I get to talk about my choral piece of the week. Choral music is something that's deeply important to myself and certainly Simon. And, you know, it's we, we both mm. have lasting memories of singing in the chapel choir together and singing outside of that choir. But that's certainly where we met. So so this kind of music and repertoire is, is deeply personal to us. And I, I think one yeah. of the day, one of the things that made the day, the coronation that is so spectacular, was what a brilliant opportunity to have one of our this country's greatest musical traditions the choral side and works performed by soloists and instrumentalists and you know a, a sort of musical offering from you know sort of, sort of what we do i thought was so important to have on the world stage yeah. and literally singing the praises of some of the finest musicians in the country and that being in itself a reflection of a tradition that means so much to us and is at the very foundation of certainly you know i think the church 
I mean, what 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 is what is the church without its music? What is what is a cathedral without its music, or an abbey in this case? But you know, royal peculiar, blah blah blah. I, th- I think something when people say you know we do spectacle, the Britain does spectacle like no one else, like events like this, you just don't get anywhere else. I actually think a significant part of that is the music and yes. the the nature of and like the, the the compositions and the performance of those compositions is is quite unique to and we've been blessed recently in that we've had a coronation we've had a funeral we had a royal wedding not too long ago or well, two royal weddings not that long ago and it has been quite center stage you know and and it has as you say been a wonderful opportunity to show off that aspect that kind of great national export if you like and and all the other stuff to do with the day was great you know the rest of the ceremony in terms of all the fancy costumes and the penny morden well, I wish it was someone else, but, you know, in a fantastic dress, we're just wielding a sword for the entire time. Yeah. It was a great spectacle, let's face it. It really was, you know, and it, it was a fun day and, and it was a day that I was really, I was glad that I was able to sit and just soak everything up. You know, I, I you know, I dread to think how long they, how long I was actually sat there in the living room, but it was quite a long time. But I had to do that, of course, because the following day was the day that in our village in sort of sleepy rural Oxfordshire, the Sunday, the day after the coronation proper, was the day of the sort of the village coronation celebration, where there was a sort of road closure. The street with the the Fox Inn was changed to Coronation Street. We had marquees and a hog roast and Mm. everybody brought as many sort of classic English desserts and it was bunting all over the place. And it was really fun. I mean, I was actually working in the pub and I I did a sort of 10 and a half hour shift and it was manic, but I was glad to have had the Saturday to just sort of sit and soak it all up before I was sort of thrown into pulling pints left, right and (laughs) centre. I mean, I was... we're actually going to run out of time before too long. There, there are several other things that we could be talking about. Indeed. I'm pretty sure this happened since our last episode. I did a big choral thing as well. It wasn't a coronation. I was in Bath Abbey performing Handel's Solomon, which has its moments. Ooh, cool. I haven't done that. It's an oratorio that isn't done all that often. Mm. And having done it, I can see why. <laughs> I thought that might be the case. There are bits that are fantastic. I think we were also the... Um, there were no cuts made to it. Often when you do these big pieces, they will have movements that are removed or if you yeah. get what's like a da capa aria, you get arias that have repeated sections yeah. and they'll often be, don't do that repeat, just to save time. We didn't do any of that. We did the whole bloody thing and I think that was a mistake. How long How long did it run for then, the whole thing? <laughs> the gig started at 7.30 and I believe it finished at 10.30. Oh dear. There was an interval in the middle of that. Yes, but, but that's still quite a long it time. It was still a... It was a lot of music. It's double choir. Mm. There's about an hour or so of pretty full-on big sing choral stuff. Yes. And then a lot of listening to soloists, which wasn't... I, I didn't enjoy those bits quite so much, I will say. If people... I'll leave a link to a track from the Curling Sensor Rise, which is like... Well, funnily enough, it's like a coronation anthem because Handel wrote a lot of those. But it's lots of... You know, you've got French horns and trumpets and timpani and big double choir. And um, it's very regal. Mm. Really enjoy, really fun to sing. But apart from that, not a huge amount else to recommend it, I will say. Yeah. Have you done anything else? One more... one Pick one thing that you can be uh, somewhat... You can critique, Dan. Ooh, um, oh yes. Oh, gosh. I came into the recording session today saying, oh, I really, really want to talk about this, and I very nearly didn't. Oh, okay. I have started watching Barry with Bill Hader. Is this because of Hugo? <laughs> well, no, It was. it's actually Hugo has reminded me to watch it. I was going to and then was thinking, oh, how can I... How can I watch it? Because I don't have... I need to... I, and then I, re, I forgot that obviously coming home, my parents very fortunately have a Sky subscription. So I can watch... because it, it's, it's it's hosted on um, Sky Atlantic, I think, hmm. uh, because you get HBO through that. And it's it's just brilliant. 
I mean, it's completely brilliant. I would have, we've, my partner and I are watching it and we've just started the second season and it's extraordinary. I mean, his performance is incredible. The The writing is, is I think, superb. I think you've got to give it the benefit of the doubt for the first episode much. I mean, this is often the case, right? Because there's a lot of exposition that you need to sort of get yeah. get across. But as you know, I, I personally was hooked after the first episode. And, and if you're not, if you watch the first one, and you think, oh, I don't know, give it the benefit of the doubt, get to episodes two and three, and then I will be very surprised if you're not completely hooked because his performance is is remarkable. It really is. So yes, Barry. Cool. Okay. I mean, I have had that recommended to uh, also by our friend Hugo Whitman. He recommended this to me the other day. So I, I should get into that. Pixel wife and I have actually been watching a lot of TV together. We've been watching a lot of Grand Designs. With oh, yes. Full, full middle-aged middle class family now um we love that but yes we could do with watching some fiction actually so yeah oh good good recommendation dan i shall check it out do top lad and we find ourselves in patreon corner this is the part of the show that makes everything actually possible um we like to thank the people that support us at patreon.com forward slash the wikicast and uh, there are two kinds of people on this uh, on this patreon aren't there dan there are there are there are top dogs and there are the others. There, there are the people who actually have great taste in household pets. Oh, really? Um, I would at this point grab Susie to make an appearance, but I need to take her to the vet later. I think she might have UTI. She's very pee and I am slightly concerned that if I pick her up, she will urinate on me and my computer. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, Simon, don't we all, you know... What, pee on my computer when you get nervous? Yeah, generally. <laughs> I had a dream about that the other day. You know how people say that dreams had deep meaning? I had a dream that I had urinated out of a house, out of a house that I don't live in, like through a window and into my neighbour's house. And then they, later in the day, presumably, urinated back way more forcefully. Wow. And I couldn't repel the urine. I don't know what that means. Answers on a postcard. I know who will know, and that's our readership, so... That's something to ask for oh. at the end of this episode. Dream interpretations, yes, absolutely. But we also like to thank the readership for making this possible. I would like to thank the people who are supporting at the top cat level. $5 a month, which basically pays for our hosting, pays for our editing, and it will be paying for some train tickets for Dan very soon mm. because we're going to be meeting up in person and we're going to be going through some stuff. Well, actually, we'll talk about that in the next section, yes. come to think of it. But I would like to thank Isabella, Lexi at Front Desk's Arch Enemy. <laughs> Lovely. James S. It's growing, Dan. Anna Reifer, Nathan Flaherty, The Kyrene on Caffeine, Simon P., Jack Easton, Izzy CC, Nafi Iftikar, Christopher Betterton, Dame Valerie III, Layla Medina, Will Janice Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Cole Mansfield, and Dan Hanvey, who beansed my house the other day. He came by and just dropped off a tin of baked beans in front of my front door wow. and gurned for our ring doorbell. Thanks, Dan. He really is the gift that keeps on giving. Truly one of the people this century. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say an enormous thank you to those who support at top dog tier. Simon alluded to earlier what your support sort of actually goes directly towards in real terms. And I would like to take an opportunity just to draw attention onto the fact that this Patreon supports our editor. Now we've had we've we you know we've had a number of editors, but our current marvellous editor Fergus, I think, is deserving of his own shout-out because the work from the last episode with the silliness that we oh. were doing toward the end was, I thought, an absolute ah. 
big old chef's kiss. So Fergus, if you're listening, big old chef's which kiss. I'm sure you are because you're editing this podcast. <laughs> if you're listening, I bloody hope he is. <laughs> well, this, what, what are we paying him for this otherwise? Is the, this is the test, isn't it? <laughs> Fergus, um, mate, if you could spare a moment just to listen to this. <laughs> this is Fergus, the editor. Thank you for your kind words, Dan. As an artificial intelligence software, I can confirm that, yes, I do listen to episodes in full. Um, it was absolutely amazing and really funny and just, ex- I mean, I don't think we could have wished for any more. So, um, yeah, your, your your support goes directly to the wonderful work that Fergus does. So, um Thank you, Fergus, and thank you, readers, for, for your support. But as I say, I'd like to say enormous thank you to those who support at Top Dog Tier. And they are Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Peter Reed, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Lexi at Front Desk, Hasse Hansen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Nafleroc, Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Christian Fromsialps, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, Amy Bonney, Sophie, Carnav, and Dan Nelson. Thank you so much for your support. Top lad. <laughs> I forgot about that. We were coming to you from the bottom of the city. We have simply one in our inbox. <laughs> I think I, I think that uh, I think we've 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 milked that for as much as it possibly can be. So all the all the people who don't speak English as the first language are just there straining. Yeah. They are like <laughs> headphones pressed into their ears. Like what are they saying? I know they're trying to communicate. <laughs> I think he's trying to tell. It's like that scene in. Um, oh, I saw this on TikTok the other day. It's that um, the scene in Finding, Finding Nemo? Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> Ripping, rolling, and punching. I think he's trying to tell us something. <laughs> oh, that's given me an idea for another way we could do this from the bottom of the sea. Uh, I'll, I'll read this. Uh, start this email. Hello. Please no. <laughs> we have an email here from a, from. Oh no, it's not. It's not from a whale. It's from our friend Imogen. So Imogen sent in an email uh, in November last year that for some reason, and I I looked for this email. I even searched through our inbox. I th- I guess it might have been filtered by sp- spam or something. Yeah. Genuinely, Imogen, I did try to look for this. I'm very very sorry. Um, and it is fitting, I suppose, that this email is actually titled Not Angry, Just Disappointed. Mm. And it's reappeared in our inbox because I- uh, Imogen has sent a follow-up. So I'll read her original email. <laughs> Hello, old men. Sup. Much as I love you both, I do have to confess, I haven't listened to m- the cast of this pod since the 100th episode. So imagine my dismay when I decided to make a return visit and was met by Dan spreading falsities about that dearest mark of punctuation, the Oxford comma. Mm. Oh, no. I Someone know. emailed... Dear Simon, comma, and Dan, which Dan erroneously identified as an Oxford comma. Which can, as you know, Dan, can only come in a list of three items or more. It's very poor. Terrible. It's very, very poor. And, and I apologise unreservedly. I would, however, draw attention to the fact that this email is titled Not Angry, Just Disappointed. And seeing Imogen, as you haven't listened to this cast of the pod since the 100th episode, <laughs> let me just say that I'm not angry. I am disappointed. <laughs> But what is fantastic, Dan, and what really dates this email, is it says, be good and eat your vegetables. Love Imogen, aged 224.409 Liz Truss Prime Ministerial Terms. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Bravo, Imogen. Incidentally, 
Going back to the coronation briefly, I loved that meme. I think I shared it in our group chat that was talking about how Liz trusts being at the coronation. It's like an actor being in one episode of Doctor Who and then just going to Comic-Cons for the rest of their life. Yes. Like, they're in the circuit now. Bare minimum. Yeah. But yes, sorry, sorry, Imogen. Thank you very much for prodding us on that one. Yeah, we really did need it. And she does, you know, so say, be good, eat your vegetables, get your together, Dan. I'll, I'll do my best. All sentiments I concur with. Absolutely. Now, we haven't had correspondence other than that because we haven't, frankly, been making episodes. So this is a plea for two things. Firstly, if you would like to send us emails, and we'll give you some specific prompts at the end of the show, as we always do, please do email in spongyelectricgmail.com. But we also, as I mentioned last episode, now actually have a P.O. box. Mm. So if you would like to send us something physical, and again, please don't send anything perishable, or that might rot or anything like that because I'm only going to check it about once a month. Or living. I mean, I know that lots of people are sort of either yeah. team cat or team dog, but but please don't send a cat or a dog. I don't want to have to, like, pick up a, a, a package, open it and find some poor puppy that's just died. <laughs> please, please don't do yeah, that. It's not, it's not the one. It's not the one. So if you'd like to send us something, then what I propose, Dan, is that you come up here in... A couple of weeks' time, yes, and we will we'll do some filming anyway. But we'll also. I thought you were going to suggest like... the transport that you wanted me to arrive in. I suggest you come up here in uh, a boat in in a zeppelin. <laughs> in a zeppelin. Oh, Dan's here. <laughs> Hello, down there. <laughs> <laughs> the re- the rope ladder goes down. Yeah. Be off down in a jiffy. I've got big goggles on and a and a scarf with a bit of wire in, so it keeps it sort of look like it's waving in the wind. Yeah, yeah. Also, the zeppelin. Zeppelin is about four foot long. <laughs> yeah. When I say Zeppelin, it's a doll's house it's, I'm holding. I'm holding a balloon. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Hello down there. <laughs> yeah, that's how I want you to arrive. But if you if you would like, if um if I suggest that we do like a mailbag episode where we open some stuff on camera. Mm. So. If you'd like to send us something, then please do send it to the PA box, which is, I'll give you the address verbally. It's not going to be written down just so it doesn't get, you know, scalped by something. You can send it to Tired Bear Films, PO Box 5598, Bath, and then the postcode is Bravo Alpha 10 Delta Zulu, United Kingdom. And if you'd like us to open it on camera, please do, you know, write on it on the outside of the envelope or on the package or whatever wikicast so that i make sure that to, to put that to one side and yeah please do send something even if it's something very very small it would be really fun to have some physical artifacts from the readership absolutely and as we said earlier on we, we're going to make a real effort to make this more regular we also are going to be having that instagram page which i'll probably set up later today and so we will be able to post pictures of things that people send if you are comfortable with us doing so on the Instagram. And just generally, we're going to start taking this a bit more seriously. Absolutely. I think we have year. big, we have big plans, big, big plans. Which is big relative to Dan. Relative to me, they're actually sort of normal yeah, size sort of, plans. Yeah. It's, I mean, we have forced perspective plans. You know, we've got a, yeah. we've got an overly large and an overly small plan, and then we're going to hold the opposite <laughs> and pass them to each other. Should we do a video episode where we do like the split perspective shot? Where actually you look significantly bigger than me yes. because you're much closer to the camera. I was thinking we either do that or we we do it sort of big cook, little cook style. However, I'm <laughs> big cook and you're on the countertop yes. doing silly things with a wooden spoon. The size of props necessary is going to be quite extraordinary. Yeah, we can make it happen. We'll make it work. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. But yes, yeah, so, so please, please do send in some emails and do, if you feel able to, and if you'd like to send us something physical, do send it to that PO box, which is PO box 5598 Bath BA10DZ, United Kingdom. Super. 
So, Simon, what have we learned today? Today, Dan, we talked uh, obliquely about Into the West, parentheses, song, mm. uh, a song performed by Annie Lennox and the end credit song of the 2003 film The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and the significance that had to my family and specifically my dad, who passed away last month. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we spent a long time talking about memories of my dad we both had, yeah. and I hope people at home got a sense of what kind of man he was. And um, as I say, there'll be more opportunities in the future. There'll at least be a video where I talk about that in more detail. So, But that will be it in terms of, I think, sort of the grief cast for now. But we did talk about some other stuff. We did. We did. I was asked about my choral piece of the week, which I mentioned was The Lark in the Clear Air, which is a mm-hmm. phenomenal piece of music. And we briefly sort of had a sort of dipped our toes into um, Critics Corner. Yes, we did. It was a. There's lots more to talk about actually because we have we've only done two episodes in two months. It's there's plenty more to catch up on for next time. Let's put it like that. Certainly. And with the plans for the podcast, I mean, I don't know whether the readership is going to be delighted or alarmed at this news, but we are going to be returning to certainly more sort of regular broadcasting. So um, yes, there's plenty for us to be talking about, and we've got lots to say, and they'll be coming up in. Uh, in future episodes. Lots more coming in Euros in future, whether you'd like it or not. And that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcasting service of choice, join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Interpretations of my pea dream, thoughts on the coronation, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And we'll see you next time. I've just noticed, Dan, that's two shows in a row we've done where Piss features quite prominently. Yeah, we, I mean, because we had the, um, I think I'm right in saying Piss Phoenix, which not yes. only is alarming that Piss has sort of come up again, but I mean, I, well, I don't need to explain why Piss Phoenix is alarming, surely. Yeah. Join <laughs> us again for another tumble down the pissy rabbit hole. Three, two, one, and we'll Piss on, Phoenix, Piss we'll Phoenix, piss you piss next time. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, what have we done? Perfect, right? Let's stop that recording. (laughs)